0: All right. Well, good morning. Good morning, Living Hope. How y'all doing? All right. Fantastic. Love the enthusiasm. Hey, if this is your first time here today, we should hang out because it's mine too. So uh, <laughs> you'll, you only get to say that one time though. So, hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. And my name is Chris and I'm here for the job interview. And, uh, you know, everybody should have to do this at least once in their life. Get up in front of a group of people that you've met a few of and, and don't know real well, and then talk for about 45 minutes. And then I, I was hoping everybody could hold their hand out like this during the sermon and just give me a little bit of a read on the room, right? So, hey, if you've got your Bible with you, go to Matthew chapter 7. It was funny when I was given the opportunity to share today. Um, I was given the option of either just preaching something that, that I've had done previously uh, but where I come from, we just go verse by verse and book by book in the Bible, chapter by chapter. And I just said, I'll take the next passage in Matthew seven, and it sure is a great one. So I'm excited to share that with you. And uh, it's been a it's been a great weekend uh, going through the interview process. And uh, I have been grilled, and I have been sautéed, and I have been uh, boiled and microwaved and everything. And uh, this whole process is kind of fun, kind of awkward, but there are things that are more awkward. I mean, if you've ever been to a middle school dance, that's awkward. <laughs> um, I was thinking, if you've ever had to kiss your mother-in-law, and if my mother-in-law is mis- listening, I don't mean you, I mean everybody else. But, um, and then there's those times where you think somebody's waving at you, and you wave back, and then you realize they're waving at someone else. That's, that's probably more awkward than this, but... I am really glad to be with you today, and it's an honor and a privilege to stand before you this morning as the lead pastor candidate of Living Hope Bible Church. So Matthew chapter 7, hopefully you found it. We're in verses 21 through 29 this morning. It's been funny because my phone this morning has been blowing up with texts from our friends back over in Bend and everybody's like, hey, you've got one shot, don't blow it. Which anytime people tell you, you have one shot, don't blow it, it doesn't put you under any pressure at all. So uh, I know they mean well, but we're, we're glad to be here with you. I'm going to start in verse 21. So this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus really hits some important topics here. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, And beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Would you go with me in prayer now? Father, we are grateful today to be here. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for Living Hope Bible Church. Thank you for a church with this amazing heritage over a century of preaching the gospel, of teaching the word, of being faithful to the truth, Lord. And the exciting thing is that not only have you sustained them for over a century, but, Lord, you've got a bright future in this place. We have a living hope in you, Jesus Christ, as our Lord, as our King. And we are so thankful that you make things new and you continue to work in and amongst this place. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what only you can do, and that is to lead and guide us into truth. We cannot come to Scripture and get what we should get and understand it and apply it without your help. So please come and guide us now. We pray this in your strong name. Amen. So I was told that you normally have 90 minutes of preaching. Is that right? So every kid worker back there is going to revolt. But, um, no, I'm thankful to be here. And what we have in Matthew chapter 7 is... Jesus is wrapping up one of the longest narratives we have in his in Scripture regarding his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's wrapping this up, and he's going to basically explain and put the capstone on it, if you will, by talking about what it means. Jesus is going to tell them, hey, what I'm giving you, just it's just not some good words or some good thoughts. I'm giving you life. I'm giving you foundation here. And this morning, we're talking about Jesus, our firm foundation. And what we're gonna see is Matthew 7 wraps up, we see a series of twos. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we looked at there's two gates. And then we looked at, uh, I believe it was last week that Pastor Ryan taught on there's two trees. And now today, Jesus tells us and reminds us that we need to understand in this life, there are two foundations. There are two ways to build your life. The two gates... The reason that's first is because the two gates represent how we come into faith. The two gates represent the start of our faith. That's why Jesus warns them. He said, hey, the the path, the gate is narrow that leads to salvation. And the path and the gate that lead to destruction is wide. And it's the easy path. So the the gates represent the start of our faith. Now, last week, Ryan talked about the two trees, right? Because a good tree is going to bear what kind of fruit? Good fruit, true fruit, real fruit. Um, I don't know if we have a, we don't have one. You guys remember ficus trees, fake trees? Everybody used to have them in their home in like the 80s and 90s, and they were everywhere, those fake trees. They're fake trees. And one time for an illustration, we were talking about how a true Christian has true fruit. I I got this ficus tree, and I taped a bunch of lemons to it, right? It's like, hey, look, it's a real lemon tree. The funny thing was, during the entire message, the tape gave out, and every few minutes, clunk, these lemons were falling off the tree. And, uh, but the idea there was, you can put fruit on a fake tree, but that doesn't make it a fruit tree. And you can have some good fruit in your life, but that doesn't mean it comes from... So, so it's the authenticity, which is what Jesus segues, and what he, he transitions to here, is this idea of two foundations, two houses. And this represents the completion of our faith. The gates is the start, the fruit... Uh, is the growth of our faith. And now here, the two houses, the two foundations, is the completion of our faith. Look, when God calls everything to judgment, the final test isn't what we judge of ourselves or what others judge of us. It's what God Almighty says. And this is one of those passages It's pretty sobering to read, isn't it? It, it, it should kind of cause us to stop and in a healthy way examine our own faith. It's sobering to read this. That's what our Lord is addressing here. And it's funny because these verses, these aren't typically the verses we see on Mother's Day cards, right? Lord, Lord, didn't we say happy Mother's Day, you know? And like we don't, we don't see those because they're verses that, that really make us stop and think. And I, and I love this passage that we're on. So let's look here at verses 21 to 23. What we'll do is we're going to read, look at this, explain it, talk about it, and then at the end we're going to apply it. In verse 21, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And we have this kind of frightening statement. On that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do these mighty works in your name? And I'm going to say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. And this is another, if you will, compare and contrast. All these sets of twos, There there are ways to compare and contrast real, genuine, saving faith with a false faith because we want to know for sure. We want to know for sure. And this can be scary. I I remember reading these verses in my teenage years, and this making me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And maybe you've gone through a rebellious time in life, and you knew that with your mouth you were saying, Lord, Lord, but with your heart you weren't. And this causes us to think, to really think and look at our faith. Because these people, they were doing some amazing things. I mean, maybe they were pastors. Maybe they were missionaries. Maybe they were worship leaders. Maybe they were, you know, who knows what. But they're, 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 they're on mission, it seems like, for Jesus. But something's not right here. And he addresses that. I mean, who is Jesus speaking to here and about here? He's speaking about people who professed to know Jesus but Jesus said he didn't know them. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? They confessed Jesus, but they didn't actually themselves possess him. They had a belief, but not a belief unto salvation. And that's really the crux of this morning's message is a belief, but not a belief unto salvation. I mean, many of them were very interested in the miracles that Jesus did. They were really interested in those miracles, but they weren't necessarily interested in the one who the miracles pointed to. I mean, if we look at these guys, and I've got some of these notes up here for you in in the bulletin and on the screen, the first thing we see about them is they spoke religious words, didn't they? They spoke religious words. They actually said, Lord, Lord. They, in verse 22, they three different times, they said, we did this what? In your name. I mean, it it seems like they're checking all the right boxes, doesn't it? And, I, and it's interesting to see people do things in, the, in Jesus' name. You ever see these entertainment award shows, or this kind of thing, and some guy comes up and he wins an award and he gets up and he's like, I want to thank the man upstairs or I want to thank God. And, and you're thinking, well, that's interesting because that movie that you're getting that award from pretty much broke all Ten Commandments, <laughs> you know. And so there's a little disconnect here, a little disconnect. So a lot of people like to use God's name. A lot of people like to use God's name in vain the wrong way, but a lot of people have a profession, and they say religious words. That's why we we want to be careful about what I call bumper sticker theology, because it's much deeper than that. And if we're honest, and I'm an honest guy, there's a lot of groups out there today that use the name of Jesus, but they don't follow the teachings of Jesus, Right? My question for those people who say they, they claim the name of Jesus, do you believe Jesus Christ to be God incarnate? Uh, do you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, I don't know. You know. We've got some other things. Well, then we've got a problem then, right? Because that's what Jesus said. It's why you've got to know this, what the Bible teaches for yourself. And you've got to be able to discern these things. So they spoke religious words. The other thing they did is they did religious works, didn't they? They were doing some things. It says they preached. It says they cast out demons. It says they did mighty works according to their own testimony, but they did things according to their will, not according to God's will. There's a huge difference there. It's this danger of just commanding in Jesus' name like Jesus is an errand boy for us. That's not how that, when the idea of doing things in Jesus' name, that's not how that works. There's a great story in uh, Acts chapter 19. There's this uh, Jewish teacher, his name is uh, Sceva. And in Acts 19, there's the story of the seven sons of Sceva. I think that sounds like a musical or something like that, but there's these seven sons of this Jewish guy named Sceva, and they're in Ephesus, actually. And Paul has come through Ephesus, and Paul has done these mighty works, and he does them in Jesus' name. So these seven sons of Sceva, they don't understand who Jesus is, but they're like, oh, well, these things Paul is saying, that must be the ticket, that must be the way to do these mighty works. So they actually went around like they're basically these these young, itinerant uh, Jewish uh, um, you know, they would cast out demons and stuff, and, and they would go around and they would say, well, uh, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So they're, they're doing exorcisms, basically. And they obviously have some degree of success. But they eventually work their way up to a situation that calls them out. You know how, like, when you play a video game, at the end of the level, you face the big boss at the end of the game, the really big bad guy. Well, in this story... They come to a situation where they can't just slap Jesus' name on something and see it effective. So they command this demon to come out of someone and the demon speaks back to him. That's the point you run, right? That's the point you run. And this demon says to them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but he literally says, who are you? And this demon goes on to literally beat the pants off of them. It says because they flee naked and ashamed. And so slapping the name of Jesus onto something is not how religious works work appropriately. It's got to be things done in his name. Asking in his name means according to his will. So these people who did not really know Jesus, they spoke religious words and they did religious things, but they actually never knew. So if we're to boil this down, what does this come down to? Well, the bottom line is you can't fool God. We all need to remember that this morning. We can't fool God. That's the point of these first three verses. We all know how easy it is to fool others. Let's just be real. We can fool others. Hey, guys, you know you can fool your wife sometimes. She's smarter than that, though. Uh, You know you can fool your kids. Uh, You can fool your pastor. You can fool a lot of people, but we can't fool God. God sees straight through it. I think one of the best biblical examples of this is the life of Judas. Do we realize that when Jesus is here teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Judas is there? Right? Can you picture? And Judas is probably sitting near. My guess is the disciples were at his feet and they were listening to Jesus as he taught, and when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, I, I picture Judas, is it hot out here, or is it just me, you know, is it, he's writing in the dirt, he's doing anything to get the, you know, not, to not listen, because he knew in his heart, he really didn't believe in Jesus, and those, those works became evident, but Judas was someone, I mean, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says all 12 disciples were there, passing out the little fish, passing out the bread, probably got a basket of leftovers afterwards, He was there for everything, but he was a a part of the crowd. But he never truly knew Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So we have to understand from this, we can't fool God. And, and And the thing of concern here is that when we can sometimes be surrounded with the gospel and just so immersed in it, and we hear it all the time, if we don't respond to it, eventually we can become inoculated to it. See, what happens is the same son that melts the wax hardens the clay, doesn't it? And that's, I'm so thankful for our kids that have grown up in church, and many of you, you've raised your kids in church, and they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, and we can become inadvertently somewhat numb to that because we've heard it so many times, but it's got to get past that barrier and get down into our hearts, and that's what we all pray for. All right, so he, he explains this, and then he, he basically transitions from talking about this I never knew you section to now, what it means to build on the rock. So, in these last verses of the Sermon on the Mount, not only is he addressing these previous verses in 21 to 23, but he's, he's applying this to everything he's taught in chapter 5, 6, and 7. And the idea here he says, Everyone who hears my words and they follow them, they're a wise man. You guys remember that song? How many of you, Sunday school kid, the wise man builds his house on the rock? Foolish man builds his house on the sand. You're having flashbacks right now to cookies and crackers being a Sunday school. But that's a great song. Isn't that a great song? It's so funny how a little children's song can have such truth. But a wise man builds his house on the rock, and then the storm comes, the rain and the wind. And, and it, blo- it sounds like if you've ever been to the Oregon coast, I think every time we've been here, that's pretty much what the weather is. The, the rains come and the floods come, and it was built on the rock, so it stood firm. But then there's the foolish man, and he built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, I love how Jesus says, it fell. And not only did it fall, but man, it fell. It, the great was the fall of it. I don't know what the difference between a fall and a great fall is, but it was epic. Probably speaking here of the, dis, of the surprise of the people, just like the surprise of the people in the previous passage who thought they were in, but they weren't. So both of these builders built houses, didn't they? And verses 21 through 23 tell us that both of these, when when they built these houses, they did works. So the disconnect for them is the foundation of these works. It's how these verses explain the previous ones regarding the foundation of works. Because there are two foundations, either my works, which is the sand, or the works of Jesus Christ, which is the rock If my salvation is ultimately tied into me, that is not salvation. My salvation has to be tied into and built upon a righteousness not my own, the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's explaining to them there. You know, why do some people build on the sand? Because building on the sand is easy. Right? When you go to the if you've ever been to the beach and you you go and if you take your kids, you go to the dollar store and you buy the bucket and the plastic shovel, that's all you need to build on the sand. You can go out there and dig around and you can take a plastic spoon and eventually dig a big hole with that. So it's it's easier, it's quicker, it requires less work. And a lot of people unfortunately choose to build their lives on the sand. Building on rock is hard. Now, where we live over in Central Oregon, there's about a quarter-inch layer of dust in Central Oregon that's on top of rock. When we moved there previously, I, I loved to garden, and, and, and I don't know why, but I love to grow vegetables and plants and stuff like that. And boy, you don't even need a shovel in Central Oregon because you literally, you, you get past that quarter-inch layer of dust, and it's clang, and well, I'll try over there, clang, and over there. It's, it's crazy. The whole thing is rock. So when they build homes, it requires a tremendous amount of excavation, and it requires a tremendous amount of work to lay footings and things like that because it is on the rock. But boy, those homes stand firm. So the idea here is there's these two foundations, two ways to build our lives, and then the storm comes, and that reveals. It reveals the character of our foundation. So what are the storms here? What does this represent? Well, the storms and I have this for you on the screen, it represents two things. First of all, the practice of our faith regarding the trials of this life. I, I say this all the time, Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until they're put in hot water, right? You really don't know what somebody's made out of until they go through stuff. And that has a way of bringing out who they truly are at their core, So the storms of this life represent the here and now as far as the trials of this life and how we deal with that. But then you have the sincerity of our faith regarding the final judgment, which is what Jesus was referring to in the previous passage there. So the storms of this life represent the practice of our faith with the trials of this life and the sincerity of our faith regarding final judgment. Right? It's like I'm a church nerd. I love church things. I love theology Um, love to talk about and discuss all these things. And and if you like church stuff, if you're you're a church nerd, um, we like to organize and we like to systematize things and put names and ideas and concepts and and have them have labels. We call this the perseverance of the saints. That's what this is, the perseverance of the saints. The fact that those in Christ will endure in this life and in eternity. See, it's, it's faith alone that saves, my friends. It's faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is not alone. It has feet to it. Real saving faith is a faith that works, not for salvation, but from salvation. It's, it's part of the if-then of this passage we're in, right? It doesn't say here that, that we need to pray. It's just, just pray this simple prayer, and we're good to go, saving faith leads ultimately to the confession of Jesus is lord and it's it's really exciting because the idea here is the confession of our faith it becomes the center of our life so my question this morning for you my friend is is Jesus the actual center of your life right is he the center that the spokes of your is he the hub that all the spokes come out of or is he just a part that sometimes we acknowledge and yeah, Sunday morning, that's my Jesus time. He's so much more than that. If you're here this morning and the only message you ever, if this is the only message you hear me preach, just understand this. Make Jesus the true center of your life. Build on his salvation. Build on his righteousness, his goodness. And then in one of my favorite closings, uh, these final two verses, I love these verses, I hope you're reading what I'm reading in verses 28 and 29, because it says here, when Jesus Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were, what, astonished at his teaching. And then there's this dig, right, it's this great little dig, why? Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as those lame scribes, right? Jesus taught as one who had authority. Do you know why he taught as one who had authority? Because he was authority. See, there's two ways to have authority, either to have it or to have a position that has authority. See, the scribes, the Pharisees, a lot of these religious leaders, they had authority not because of who they were, but because they held an office. And there's a lot of times that an office carries authority with it, And you may not respect the person in the office, but you have to respect the office. And these people at this day in this age and at the time Jesus was around, they were like, they knew that the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, and all this stuff, They, they did not respect them as people, but they respected the office. And so when Jesus shows up and he teaches them, that word there, it literally means their minds were blown by what Jesus taught them. And that's the power of the words of Jesus. And I, love, I just love how, how Matthew goes out of his way to record this, this little part here to just give some insight into how his teaching was received. Jesus spoke with authority because he is the authority, he is Lord of all. And that carries some weight with it. So we take this, these verses this morning and we apply them to our lives. Because to me, what I, what I would say is what we hear in church on Sunday should really make a difference in our lives on Monday, right? Does that make sense? And how we get along with our our husbands and our wives or how we get along with our neighbors or our coworkers. On Sunday, it should permeate what we hear, everything that we do in life. So I want to do a couple of things here for you to take home today to point out. First of all, we see this big message here, and that is that religion can't save. Does that make sense? Religion can't save. Jesus is telling us that plainly. As a matter of fact, In another passage that you don't find on coffee cups and and things like that, in Matthew 23, Jesus goes hard here and he calls out them for their false religion. Jesus says to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves or allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, a single convert. And when he has become a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child as hell than yourselves. Whoa, like I said, happy birthday, you know? (laughs) I mean, this is harsh. This is Jesus giving it to them straight, warning them because they were misusing their authority. And they were actually stopping people by their abuse of it from entering the kingdom of heaven. And what he is driving home is this idea that religion can't save. I mean, he throws down hard here. These guys were all about themselves. At the, the beginning of uh, Matthew seven twenty one, same idea with these guys who professed in Jesus' name, but they didn't know Jesus and he didn't know them. That same idea. Uh, that, that's what he's teaching us here. I mean, these guys were about themselves, and they abused this religious system to lift themselves up. See, salvation isn't just knowing the right things uh, or knowing the things about people, right? And the right people doesn't mean you even know them. This, we, we see this phenomenon. I'm sure you're aware of it. This, we, we hear this word a lot. It's becoming quite a buzzword in Christianity of deconstruction. How many have heard of deconstruction? Okay. It's this idea of people who at one point walked into faith, and then they walked away from it. They, they knew the truth, and, and, and we're seeing this with a lot of, not just young adults, but we're seeing it with people who've been in ministry for years. We're seeing it from pastors who served faithfully for decades, some of them. And they're like, You know what? I'm done, I don't believe any of it, I'm just walking away. And it's unfortunately even becoming kind of a fad for people to, not just to do it, but then they get all over social media and they are so excited to tell everybody else how, yeah, I'm walking away from the faith, I don't believe any of that stuff anymore. It's becoming in vogue in a lot of ways. But this idea of deconstruction, it's people who are like, yeah, I tried it, I tried it, but I failed and, you know, if I'm not good enough, then I'm out. It's this idea of they never actually trusted Jesus. They trusted themselves. Matter of fact, our friend John, 1 John 2.19, the apostle John would write and he says, they went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. That's the perseverance of the saints part. But they went out that it might become plain that they Are all not of us? See, they weren't just deconstructing. What they're showing is they ultimately never built on what. They never built on the rock. What did they build on? They built on the sand. And eventually, the fall of their faith. it, It wasn't just a. It wasn't just a fall. It was a great fall. And it's sad to see this happening in our day and age. But what's being revealed? is the foundation of our faith. And the foundation of our faith is not that religion saves. None of us here today hopefully believe that by being a part of this, saves us, right? Uh, uh, Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in your garage makes you a car, right? Being at the right place with the right people doesn't make you something. Religion doesn't save. And and here's the thing, right? it's, It's the definition of building on sand. You know what happens? To sandcastles, my wife and I a few years ago were in Florida. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Sanibel Island on the Gulf side of, of Florida. It's beautiful, it's an amazing area. And we stayed uh, near the beach and we walked out and they had a huge sand sculpture. It was really cool. I don't know, it was like 12, 15 feet long and the detail of it was amazing. And Sandra said, Oh, we should take a picture of that. I said, Oh, we we'll just, we didn't have, we'd left our phones at the chairs we were sitting at. And I said, Well, let's just come back later. Oh, we'll come back tomorrow and get a picture of this really cool sand structure. So we come out the next morning, and guess what's there? A hill of sand, right? The waves came in that night, the water came up, and what was this, I, I don't know, it's funny to me when people do this, because I'm like, I don't know how many hours they spent. It's like doing an ice sculpture. Why? I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of work for something that's gonna melt and be gone. I mean, I know you can take pictures and stuff, but still... So, you know, it came out, and that to me is an example of you can build some really beautiful, ornate stuff in the sand and on the sand. I think every time we go to the Oregon coast, we, see, we, mix, we drive along the coastline, and you see houses that have fallen off and how sad that is. And we see this idea today with deconstruction. That's why we've got to, again, we've got to know in what our faith is truly anchored in. You know, faith that saves It's not just a faith that agrees with God intellectually. It's a faith that surrenders all of your life and embraces God wholeheartedly. The book of James, it flushes this out so clearly. In James James 2.19, it says, even the demons believe and tremble. Well, are the demons children of God? Absolutely not. So we know that there's a faith, but then there's another faith that leads to salvation, a true saving faith. So religion can't save, but the second part of that, and man, this is why we're here this morning, Living Hope, is religion can't save, but Jesus can. It's why we have sung today. It's why we open up and we read the words of Jesus, because they are life, because he is life. And the beauty, the beauty of all this is, I'm so thankful that we can know this for sure, we have, a, I call it a no so salvation. We can know this for sure. Uh, speaking of John, in John chapter five, verse 13, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I think it's natural that we all doubt. And I, I've been a believer a long time. I've been a pastor 25 years. Can I tell you this morning, there's times I still struggle? There's times I still, you know, maybe it's a moment of weakness or fatigue or frustration. I've had a hard day, and, and I'll sit there and I'll think to myself, is this really, is this, you know, we, we have that. But then I go back to I don't let my feelings pull my, my faith, right? My faith, which is based in those facts, that's the train that pulls that car, not my feelings there. And I go to verses like John 5:13 that tell me I can know. Have I believed? Yes, I have. We could know this for sure, for sure. If someone were to ask me, hey, Chris, what would happen if you died today? What happened if you were driving back to Bend this afternoon and you weren't paying attention to those cattle that cross Highway 20 out there sometimes in the middle of nowhere, right? And just full board and, and, and poof, you're gone. What would happen? Man, I'd be singing in heaven's worship band tonight. How do you know that? How do you know that? Well, I know whom I have believed in and I am persuaded and convinced that he will keep me until that day. The Bible tells us we can know that for sure. I love that. This whole passage, it pushes us to ask, what is genuine conversion? That's what this is about. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. I have this on the screen for you. Paul, in the early church, he's preaching, and he says, testifying of faith, testifying of faith to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord jesus christ see faith that is turning to christ away from myself it's not earned not by me anyways it's earned by him that's the faith and the repentance side two sides of the same coin turning to god repentance as the chief end of our life and purpose and that's why any other concern for a believer is secondary to that It's why, for a believer, sin may try and cling to you, but you will ultimately want to cling to sin. You'll want to cling to your Savior. And the beautiful thing is when we understand that as believers, when when my life is on the rock, when I build on the rock, it frees the other people around me to not be my rock. See, we get into trouble in our relationships with each other when I want somebody else to be what only Jesus can be to me. I, my, Sandra and I have been married almost 27 years. She, I, ha, I have, you talk about marrying up. I, mean, I was like infinity and beyond, okay? So I, I understand what it means to marry up. And I have an amazing wife, but she can't be Jesus for me. Only Jesus can be Jesus for me. And if I, ha, if I make her or expect her to be Jesus for me, that puts her in an impossible situation. And I'm thankful for our human relationships and what God does for us, but ultimately... That's building on sand, if you're building your meaning for life into other people. It's beautiful how it's all tied together here. See, the good news of the gospel isn't that if you come to Jesus, you get whatever you want. The good news of the gospel is you get Jesus. And that's what's awesome. So religion can't save, but Jesus can. This next thing we see here, and y'all know what I'm talking about with this, our faith will be tested. How many of you know your faith's gonna be tested? It is gonna happen. You're gonna go through it. And I always like to say, everybody probably in this room right now, you're either going through a tough time right now, right? You're either coming out of a tough time. And if those aren't your story right now, then guess what? You're about to go through a tough time. That's just the roller coaster of life. I would love to find a way to avoid all the trials, all the storms. All the the people say, where'd you go to school? The school of hard knocks. Man, we all go through that. We all, we all, we learn so much about ourselves and our faith through that time. Our faith is gonna be tested. That's why Jesus says the storms will come, the trials of life. None of us get to escape that. And it happens multiple times. There's gonna be times where you're gonna say, I can't do this. And you're right, on your own, you can't do it. Maybe God is mercifully and kindly telling you you're trying to do this in your own strength. I love you. I'm showing you. You, you need me to go through this with you. Right? That's why Jesus told his disciples, when I leave, I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, who's going to come, and he's going to guide you in truth, and he's going to support you and get you through this stuff right? It's, it's one of the things, right? Not, when you build on the rock, not only is your eternity secure in Jesus, but in this life, he's with you through it all. He says in Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So if you know that, and there are times you feel like, where are you, Jesus? I feel like we're playing hide and seek. Where are you at? Because I, I don't feel you. I don't see you. He's there. He's there. We've got to trust and believe in what he has said. And finally, in closing here, this deals with the last couple of verses. And I just, again, I love, I love the, these clothes, this, this close. The idea here is this. People need the words of Jesus, not the wisdom of man. I think it's always funny to go to bookstores, and some of the biggest, self, some of the biggest sections at the bookstore are the quote-unquote self-help section, right? I mean, I believe we should be working and active to be the best version of ourselves we can be, but ultimately, it's not man's wisdom It is the words of Jesus that changes lives. And that's what these last verses deal with. Look, if Living Hope Bible Church is gonna reach the greater Boise area and the Treasure Valley with the power and the gospel of Jesus, we need the words of Jesus. Because Jesus plus anything is not really much, is it? Because it is all about and it is all founded on him. It's why we need to teach and preach the Bible not just things about the Bible, not just to talk of the ideas and to learn facts and to learn things about the Bible, but as Paul would say, to preach the word. You got to build on the rock. I love that. Again, so many truths we can really learn in life. You go to Sunday school and you listen in there. Man, that's what you need. That's what, that's what we need. We're going to wrap up here, and we're going to sing about this truth as we close our time together. We're going to sing a song that I asked Matt and the worship team to sing called Build My Life. It's actually one of my favorite songs. Um, It's such a, and it it ties in perfectly with what we've preached today. But the idea of this song is build your life on Jesus. I want you to, when I pray here in a moment, I want you to think in your own heart, right? You say, well, I know Jesus. I'm good to go. But are you truly, are you submitted to him? Do you acknowledge him in your life as Lord? Are you building on that rock? When we sing this song, the bridge to this song, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Man, we all realize over the last couple of years how quickly things, our little snow globes can get shaken up, can't they? We've been living that. I mean, these last couple of years have been a wake-up call for a lot of us about church, about what matters, about how we live life, about the fact that we can think we got all our ducks in a row. All it takes is one morning you wake up and, whoa, what's going on? Like, that's real for us. So build our lives on the rock. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful to be able to stand up here right now and to share this truth with such amazing people here at Living Hope. And God, my prayer is that at the end of the day, Jesus, you would be magnified, that you would be lifted high, that much would be made of your name. I love the name of this church, Living Hope, because Jesus, that is who you are. We don't just serve a God who is off in the distance somewhere, who doesn't care about his people. We serve a God who He's a part of our lives. He's a part of what we're doing. He's a part of our joys and our struggles. And Jesus, you're the rock that we are to build on. Thank you for your patience with us because a lot of times um, we, we, we are just prone to wonder. Like the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we look at the sand and we think to ourselves, oh man, that'd be so much easier to do. But Jesus, you are our rock and you're patient with us and you're kind. You work through all of our our issues, whether they be pride or sin, selfishness, just all the things that cause problems in this world. But you love us and you're patient through it all. Grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this church in a great way. And Lord, we're thankful that your hand on this place is not just in the past, it's in the present and it's in the future. We thank you for that. You're such a good God, and we love you. Jesus, we pray all this in your strong name. Amen.